C13 Originals. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. The name would stick. On January 19, 1976, Margaret Thatcher, the leader of Britain's Conservative Party, delivered a forum policy speech at Kensington Town Hall, in which she characteristically pulled no punches. Thatcher said, The Russians are bent on world dominance, and they are rapidly acquiring the means to become the most powerful imperial nation the world has seen. The men in the Soviet Politburo don't have to worry about the ebb and flow of public opinion. They put guns before butter, while we put just about everything before guns. In Moscow, a communist newspaper took note. A Reuters correspondent reported, British Tory leader Margaret Thatcher was today dubbed the Iron Lady by the Soviet Defense Ministry newspaper Red Star the Iron Lady. And so a legend was born. It's sometimes said that because of our past, we as a people expect too much and set our sights too high. Mr. Chairman, that's not the way I see it. Rather, it seems to me that throughout my life in politics, our ambitions have steadily shrunk. And our response to disappointment hasn't been to lengthen our stride, but to shorten the distance to be covered. But with confidence in ourselves and in our future, what a nation we could be. I'm John Meacham, and this is It Was Said, Episode 4. The Ladies Knot for Turning. Elected Prime Minister in 1979, Margaret Thatcher approached the 1980 Conservative Party Conference in Brighton with some trepidation. It was autumn, and Thatcher, the first female prime minister in the history of Great Britain, was worried that support within the party for her conservative agenda was soft. Her husband, Dennis Thatcher, tried to calm her as she prepared her speech. Honestly, love, we're not trying to write the Old Testament, he remarked. The address was to be given on Friday, October 10th, 1980. At our party conference last year, I said that the task on which the government was engaged to change the national attitude of mind was the most challenging to face any British administration since the war. Now, challenge is exhilarating. And this week, we conservatives have been taking stock, discussing the achievements, the setbacks, the work that lies ahead, 
as we enter our second parliamentary year. Thatcher had come to power amid economic gloom and national malaise. The 1978-79 winter of discontent, characterized by labor strikes and very cold weather, seemed to encapsulate a Britain worn out from Labour Party rule. For many Britons, these are hard times. With little immediate prospect of industrial growth, the number of jobless is unlikely to dwindle in the near future. And even the longer-term prospects for employment are pretty gloomy. The country was shut down in great part. The trains weren't running regularly. Lights went out. Trash wasn't being picked up. This is the political commentator and former congressman, Joe Scarborough. Churchill famously had said he had not become the king's first minister to preside over the liquidation of the British Empire, but that's exactly what he did, what Eden did, Macmillan, Wilson, Heath. The prime ministers from 1945 through the mid to late 1970s, and Britain was a country in economic and spiritual decay, a spiritual decay defined as what they had come to believe the British Empire's place was in the world. Into this breach stepped Margaret Roberts Thatcher. Born in 1925 in Grantham, Lincolnshire, the future Iron Lady was the daughter of a grocery storekeeper who was also a lay Methodist preacher. Educated at Oxford as a chemist, the young Margaret Roberts became a conservative in politics. As her biographer Charles Moore observed, in particular, she was close to small business and to the aspirations of lower middle-class people like herself born with no great advantages. They worried that the tax, controls, and nationalization, which had been such features of the labor government, would deny them the opportunities which they had hoped would open up with the end of the war. In all industrial countries in the last few months, forecasts of economic growth have been revised sharply downwards. For a country like Britain, which earns its living from international trade, these latest indicators are depressing news. You have a conservative movement that has watched Malays grip both sides of the Atlantic. Of course, in the United States, we were dealing with the bitter hangover of the radicalism of the 1960s, Watergate, Vietnam, the oil embargo, the Iranian hostage crisis. We had double-digit inflation and a real sense of helplessness as a country that our best days were behind us. And as bad as that sounds in Britain... I think it was even worse. They really were a country in radical decline. And this woman, a woman in Great Britain, takes over the Conservative Party and then becomes prime minister and dares to go where timid men refuse to go. Thatcher's rise to power unfolded in rough parallel with Ronald Reagan's on the other side of the Atlantic. Thatcher and Reagan were two strivers from obscure or relatively obscure origins, both of whom had come to believe firmly in free enterprise, in anti-communism, and in national greatness. I've always been fascinated looking back at the two and comparing the successes of the two. When Ronald Reagan died, of course, he died a hero for millions and millions of Americans. He had a funeral where he was celebrated 
even the most liberal of liberals would have a story about how Reagan was enlightened. He wasn't the Neanderthal that they accused him of being from 1966 to when he left the office in 1989 and was celebrated and was even celebrated by polite society. I was struck by the contrast of Margaret Thatcher, where she seemed to be rejected by most in polite society. Her death was actually celebrated in a grisly fashion by a large number of people in Britain. And I was just struck by the fact that in many ways, what Margaret Thatcher did was more remarkable in Britain than what Ronald Reagan did in the United States. And I think much of that had to do with their styles. Thatcher could make politics and peacetime sound like war. And if you listen to Reagan's speech at Normandy, he could make war sound like a stroll through Hyde Park with bagpipes. So the styles were dramatically different, even if the politics were the same. Well, it's widely known that I share many of your ideals and beliefs, Prime Minister Thatcher. I believe, however, that our relationship goes beyond cordiality and shared ideals. Survival in this era requires us, as those who preceded us, to take freedom in the palm of our hands and never to cower behind a veil of unrealistic optimism. Together, we'll strive to preserve the liberty and the peace so cherished by our peoples. They had met in 1975 and hit it off. Six years later, when both were in power, Thatcher told Reagan, Mr. President, before and since you took office, I've come to know you as a personal friend who can be relied on in times of danger, who's not going to compromise on the values of the free world, who seeks the reduction of world tensions and the strengthening of world security, who will do everything possible to encourage creative enterprise and initiative. Such were also the themes of Thatcher's October 1980 speech in Brighton. In it, we can see the essence of her philosophy and the steeliness of her character. The left continues to refer with relish to the death of capitalism. Well, if this is the death of capitalism, I must say it's quite a way to go. In the first 17 months, this government has laid the foundations for recovery. We've undertaken a heavy load of legislation, a load we don't intend to repeat because we don't share the socialist fantasy that achievement is measured by the number of laws you pass. <laughs> Prosperity comes not from grand conferences of economists, but by countless acts of personal self-confidence and self-reliance. The public sector, Thatcher believed, did not hold a magic wand. We're not heedless of the hardships and worries that accompany the conquest of inflation. And foremost among these is unemployment. Let me make it clear beyond doubt. I'm profoundly concerned about unemployment. The waste of a country's most precious asset, the talent and energy of its people, makes it the bounden duty of government to seek a real and lasting cure. 
I could press a button and genuinely solve the unemployment problem, do you think that I would not press that button this instant? If spending money like water was the answer to our country's problems, we would have no problems now. Because if ever a nation has spent, spent and spent again, ours has. And today that dream is over. Those who urge us to relax the squeeze, to spend yet more money indiscriminately in the belief that will help the unemployed and the small businessman, are not being kind or compassionate or caring. They're not the friends of the unemployed or the small business. They are asking us to do again the very thing that caused the problems in the first place. So I'm a father of one. I got to find a babysitter. I found care.com and I was blown away. Through the platform, I was able to find local and experienced candidates along with their reviews and rates, which were way more affordable than I anticipated. Care.com really put me at ease knowing that they were all required to go through a background check. If you're like me and you need to find someone reliable for your childcare necessities, check out care.com. Find the ideal sitters for your childcare needs. It's after bedtime, the kids are asleep, and the moms are out to play. We're Dina and Kristen, the duo behind the Instagram account, Big Little Feelings. I'm Dina, I'm a child therapist and mom of two who nerds out on all things neurobiology and psychology. And Kristen is a parent coach who wrangles three kids on a daily basis, here to give it to us like it is. We weren't meant to do this parenting thing alone. Consider After Bedtime your village. Follow After Bedtime with Big Little Feelings on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. To Thatcher, the answer to public problems lay with private citizens, with the virtue of well-lived lives. Democracies were the fullest manifestation of the habits of heart and mind of all the people. Mr. Chairman, but it isn't the state that creates a healthy society. But when the state grows too powerful, people feel that they count for less and less. The state drains society not only of its wealth, but of initiative, of energy, the will to improve and innovate, as well as to preserve what is best. But our aim is to let people feel that they count for more and more. If we can't trust the deepest instincts of our people, we shouldn't be in politics at all. And Mr. Chairman, a great nation is the voluntary creation of its people, a people composed of men and women whose pride in themselves is founded on the knowledge of what they can give to a community of which they in turn can be proud. If our people feel that they are part of a great nation and they're prepared to will the means to keep it great, then a great nation we shall be and shall remain. Then, as shrewd politicians do, 
she alluded to current chatter in order to assert that her perennial views would prevail. The press was full of speculation that the conservative government would soon make a U-turn away from what would become known as free market Thatcherism. To those waiting with bated breath for that favorite media catchphrase, the U-turn, I have only one thing to say. You turn if you want to. <laughs> the ladies not for turning. <laughs> the phrase was a riff on a play entitled The Ladies Not for Burning, and the rhetorical device worked. That phrase, the ladies not for turning, is a very strange one. No one was expecting it at all, partly because nobody remembered the 1948 play of Christopher Fry's The Ladies Not for Burning. So we didn't really know what she was talking about terribly much. It was a, a play on words of a phrase that meant nothing to an awful lot of people. This is the historian Andrew Roberts, author of Leadership in War, Essential Lessons from Those Who Made History. You know, some of the older people in the audience might have remembered this sort of, it's a rom-com, essentially, uh, the play. So the sudden phrase was brought out of the blue, didn't mean that much to anybody, but boy, did we understand what she was talking about when it came to uh, the kernel of the expression about not U-turning. And it was a, quite an important moment for everybody to know that the Prime Minister was not going to do the same thing that Ted Heath had done when he, in 1972, did this major U-turn and threw away all his principles, everything that he promised in the 1970 election. And Margaret Thatcher wasn't going to do that. It was an adventurous, bold, scary moment and one that I think no one but her could have pulled off. She used it to bridge the domestic and foreign aspects of her speech. And I say that not only to you, but to our friends overseas as well, and also to those who are not our friends. <laughs> long before we came into office, and therefore long before the invasion of Afghanistan, I was pointing to the threat from the East, I was accused of scaremongering, but events have more than justified my words. Of course, there are those who say that by speaking out, we are complicating East-West relations, that we are endangering detente, but the real danger would lie in keeping silent. Detente is indivisible and it is a two-way process. The Soviet Union can't conduct wars by proxy in Southeast Asia and in Africa, foment trouble in the Middle East and the Caribbean, invade neighboring countries and still expect to conduct business as usual. <laughs> Unless detente is pursued by both sides, it can be pursued by neither, and it's a delusion to suppose otherwise. Yeah. 
This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Relationships are hard, and that's why I'm here. Hey, friend, it's Cammie Crawford. Think of me as your big sister slash audible BFF that you can always trust to give you the real tea. This is my show, Relationship, the advice podcast that covers all relationship topics. Send your story to hello at relationshippod.com or DM me at relationship on IG and tune in for new episodes every Friday. Listen and follow Relationship with Cammie Crawford on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Margaret Thatcher was a formidable figure, but she was very human, too. In a eulogy for her in 2013, the Bishop of London recalled a letter from a nine-year-old David who wrote her to say, Last night when we were saying prayers, my daddy said everyone has done wrong things except Jesus. And I said, I don't think you have done bad things because you are the prime minister. Am I right or is my daddy? In a handwritten reply, Mrs. Thatcher had written, However good we try to be, we can never be as kind, gentle, and wise as Jesus. There will be times when we do or say something we wish we hadn't done, and we shall be sorry and try not to do it again. The bishop added this, She was very aware that there were prior dispositions which are needed to make market economics and democratic institutions function well. The habits of truth-telling, mutual sympathy, and the capacity to cooperate. These decisions and dispositions are incubated and given power by our relationships. In her words, the basic ties of the family are at the heart of our society and are the nursery of civic virtue. Such moral and spiritual capital is accumulated over many generations, but can easily be eroded. Guarding against that erosion was the work of her life in general, and of the October 1980 speech in particular. This afternoon, I've tried to set before you some of my most deeply held convictions and beliefs. This party which I'm privileged to serve and this government which I am proud to lead are engaged in the massive task of restoring confidence and stability to our people. I've always known that task was vital. Let Labour's Orwellian nightmare of the left be the spur for us to dedicate with a new urgency our every ounce of energy and moral strength to rebuild the fortunes of this free nation. If we were to fail, that freedom could be imperiled. So let us resist the blandishments of the faint hearts. Let us ignore the howls and threats of the extremists. Let us stand together and do our duty, and we shall not fail.
whatever else one may say of her, Margaret Roberts Thatcher did her duty as she saw it. The lady, the Iron Lady, was not for turning. On the next episode of It Was Said Season 2, Nelson Mandela stands trial for challenging apartheid in South Africa. Speaking from the defendant's dock, he defiantly declares that he is prepared to die for a free and democratic society. Thank you for listening to It Was Said Season 2, a creation and production of C13 Originals, a Cadence 13 studio in association with the History Channel. Executive produced by me, John Meacham, and Chris Corcoran of Cadence 13. Written and narrated by me, John Meacham. Production led by Margot Gray. Edited, mixed, and mastered by Chris Basil. Production coordination, research, support, and consultation by Lloyd Lockridge, Bill Schultz, Sean Cherry, and Bob Tabador. Marketing, PR, sales, operations, and business affairs led by Maura Curran, Josefina Francis, Kurt Courtney, Hilary Schuff, Lauren Vieira, Lucas Santroen, Bill Schultz, Lizzie Roberti, Danny Kutrick, and Karen Andrews. Creative consultation by Eli Lehrer and Jesse Katz of the History Channel. Our theme song is I Can Almost See You by Hammock. Our closing credits theme song is Light by Michael Kiwanuka. Cadence 13 is an Odyssey company. We're miles apart, but safe in dreams. You're running far. Beyond the dark, we'll always be one of their own. Fall on your knees to find a love. Your light to me, my only son. You'll always shine for me. Hey friends, this is Jen Hatmaker, your happy host of the For the Love podcast. You may wonder how I got into this podcasting thing. Well, I'm a speaker and an author who has happened to write a few New York Times bestselling books that really resonated with a pretty large community of women. And I thought, how great would it be to drop into the ears of this growing community every week via the magic of podcasting? So that's what we did. 
And I'm delighted to say we've been able to spark a bit of delight and uncover some hope and talk with great people about the big and small things that we care about and that affect our lives on the daily. So I'm thrilled to invite you to join me every Wednesday for new episodes of the For the Love podcast, where you'll hear the most incredible conversations with some of the best people on this planet. We're going to bring you moments of connection and laughter and hot takes on the things we care about going on in the world. So listen to and follow For the Love with Jen Hatmaker, a Four Eyes Media production presented by Odyssey. You can get it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.